But if you were to go back and talk to that version of yourself, knowing now how gracious God is and how kind God is and how patient God is, what would you say to yourself or how would you walk through that scenario again? You didn't write this down for me to think about <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Book Therapy. I'm your host, Kim Patton. There's no way to count how many books are floating around in this world. Some are decent, some are truly terrible, and some are great. Today, we're going to take a deep dive into one great book. Together, we will discover gems of truth and encouragement to help you face your current season of life. I'm ready. You're ready. Let's get this party started. Hello, hello. Thank you so much for joining me here today for another episode of Book Therapy Podcast. I have a return guest today, and if you want to check out our first interview, it is episode 11, where we talk about gentle and lowly. Hope you enjoy the show. Let's dive into the book. The book we're talking about today is The Gospel Transformed Life, How Dwelling on the Gospel Saves Us from Our Daily Sins, and this is written by David Carroll. Welcome to the show, David Carroll. Hey, thank you. That sounded really official. Welcome to the show, Dave, my brother. We talked back a couple months ago about the book Gentle and Lowly by Dane Ortland. And I'm glad we did that book first because as I was reading this book that you wrote, you talk about Gentle and Lowly many times. And also the whole tone of Gentle and Lowly just fit seamlessly in with this gospel message that you're trying to convey. Yeah, for sure. I know I don't sound like your little sister today, but I promise it is me. (laughs) (laughs) Why did you choose to write this book and why now? So there were several reasons for writing it now. Uh, One of the main ones is just that I don't hear about the gospel uh, being combined with sanctification. And that's really what the book is about, is the gospel for sanctification. I wanted to bring that more to light. The same thing for preaching the gospel to yourself daily. There are some books written on that that are, that are fabulous books. But I think for the most part, a, a lot of people, a lot of Christians haven't heard of preaching the gospel to yourself daily, nor do they practice it. I think it should be one of the main spiritual disciplines that we practice, but there's like no spiritual discipline book with it even mentioned. But it it, I mean, it really is a combination of prayer and uh, Bible reading and meditation, but uh, I think it could be a standalone uh, spiritual discipline as well, just if people focused on that. I really wrote it for friends and family. I'm not too positive it will go further beyond family and friends. I would love for it to, and we'll see. But uh, it's been very helpful in my life just to think about this, meditate on it. And the book really, I I talk a lot about myself and my struggles. Uh, Usually, I don't think I say too much positive about me, but I really do have a good (laughs) self-image. But... (laughs) Uh, I talk a lot about about my sin life and growing in areas, and I think that's important. I, I don't leave it at that. I focus on our identity being in the gospel, which is a very firm place to put your identity. And the, the last reason why now, we're on furlough this year, and I usually 
find a project to do on furlough. You also have a Spotify audiobook, which you recorded chapter by chapter. So tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, I just released that a, a week or two ago. I haven't really announced it too much. Uh, this could be, this is really the main first. This is your major right announcement. Here. There you go. Yes. And I uh, basically just trying to get, get it out there. I know a lot of people will listen to an audio uh, book rather than sitting down and reading a book. I think listening to audios is, is more common. And so we're going to get that out there just as an option and see who it hits. Are you going to translate it into Spanish? Are you going to translate it into Portuguese? I don't know about Spanish. (laughs) I don't know about Spanish, but we're going to do Portuguese. It's already been translated into Portuguese. So the unedited version was translated into Portuguese. And I'm actually rewriting it to more of a Brazilian context. And then uh, getting it out, getting it edited after that. And so it's going to be a little bit. So coming in 2024... The Portuguese copy. Hopefully in the next couple months. We'll see. We're going to highlight three stories that illustrate how the gospel transforms our lives. And when I was reading the book, these are three of the stories that really stuck out to me as being particularly helpful and honest and vulnerable even. And those are always the stories that I learn the most from. So we'll start with number one which is bad boat trips. And this is found near the end of the book. Tell me what you mean by bad boat trips. Yeah, so we were missionaries in the Amazon for three years. Right now we're in Northeast Brazil, but in the Amazon we had to take a boat trip to arrive at our home where we lived. It was a city on the river, basically, of 30,000 people. And so in order to get there, you had options on boat trips, But basically, the capital city, it was a four-day slow boat trip or a 24-hour speedboat. And going the other way, if you just flew into Tabatinga, it was a little shorter, but the flights were harder to get. So basically, we had a lot of boat trips to make, and we went to the Amazon with a two-month-old little girl, and so that complicated things. And our first one was really, it was brutal. It was supposed to be 24 hours with a hotel stay in the middle. It ended up being 56 hours straight in bus-like seating. And we really had uh, some difficult, (laughs) it was really hard. So we arrived, my wife, Sarah, had poop on her pants because we had run out of diapers because we weren't planning for 56 hours. We hadn't really slept well because sitting up, you can't really sleep well. And it was just a shocking experience. And so that was the the worst one, but we had a four or five other bad ones that really made us question why we were there, if we really wanted to be there, if it was worth it. It put a strain on our marriage, our family life, and, you know, that's that's not easy to go through. And really, I describe the Amazon, we are in the jungle, which you think jungle as flourishing, and now we currently live in the desert, and the desert's dry. Well, 
the Amazon was our desert experience and now we're more in a flourishing environment, uh, family wise. So yeah, it was rough. So that, that story, those stories are in the patience chapter. And so the point is to say that God has patience with us. You know, we, we don't come fully sanctified. He brings us through experiences and just as God had patience with us, we also can have patience with those around us. So I'm not going to ask you to go back to that day and insert your modern day David into that version of David that was a young, married, new dad. But if you were to go back and talk to that version of yourself, knowing now how gracious God is and how kind God is and how patient God is, what would you say to yourself or how would you walk through that scenario again? You didn't write this down for me to think about beforehand. <laughs> God has a plan. God is sovereign. He's He's not leaving you here. It's going to be tough, uh, but God has a plan. He's working and uh, he's molding you to the image of Christ. And sometimes that takes suffering and tribulation and you're going to go through it and you're going to come out fine. You're going to come out perfect. Like the perfect, like 10 years from now, you will be perfect. That was sarcastic. (laughs) Such a liar. You can think about that, you know, 56 hours as being probably one of the longest 56 hours of time of your life. However, in the long run or in the grand scheme of things, it was only 56 hours and you were miserable probably every minute of that time, but your family went on to grow. You went on to move to another location in Brazil. Your ministry has grown. Your family has weathered the storms and come out stronger. So that small section of time has played a big part in your whole story as a growing, sanctifying Christian. Yeah, and I don't don't usually think about those 56 hours. It's more the three years in the Amazon. So that was a little bit more time, but uh, it was, yeah, it's, it's just part of it. Wow. We still have those moments, you know, we still have days that are rough and knowing what God was doing back then and that he has a plan helps today when I'm having difficulty uh, in the family and marriage with the girls uh, or in in ministry, I can say, hey, God has a plan and he's working. He'll work it out and it's going to work out for the good. I did struggle when I was reading your book with a little bit of, I don't know if I would say envy, maybe envious of the future restoration of all things. <laughs> like I was just frustrated that we still have to deal with all of these things now even though you know you gave a lot of hope and a lot of encouragement and a lot of practical wisdom about how to deal with the moments of tension in our lives but i still kind of felt like man i just wish <laughs> i just wish we could be better at handling these rough moments well in your interview with your wonderful husband kevin and the nt right book i think it has that in it and but there's also the idea of the hope that we have now and the grace and the kingdom of God being here now as well. So as we play out the gospel in our lives, we do have more moments of peace and 
uh, grace in our lives, even in the present. And so it's not all put off till later. I think that's one of the main points of the book too, is that we think about salvation and we just think, oh, it's going to be so great in the future. But part of salvation is the present as well. On page 33, you have two scenarios for us, soccer and football. And you talk about one of your teammates, and then you talk about how his reaction actually revealed what was going on in your heart. So tell me a little bit about that. The, the soccer player, he had a bad reaction on the field, and he said, it's not it's not like me to do that. That's that's so not me. And I, I always use that example as saying, it is you. And when I was a coach and kind of playing actually that game, I just just yelled at the coach and it all came out and it's like, yeah, I can't say that's not me. That is me. That's that's the real me. That's the ugly me. And that can come out in an instant. Really, that's what uh, God saves us from. <laughs> like, it doesn't have to come out. Uh, but if if I'm left without God, that's me. And it's ugly. But also in those moments, it's rec- it's recognizing our sinfulness. But we also don't want to ignore those moments because they can be learning moments. Like, why did I have to explode? What What was I thinking? It all boils down to what I am thinking, what is in my mind, what are my values. Uh, conflict happens in our life, uh, James 4 says, because of the passions or desires that are within us. So we want what we want, and when we don't get it, we explode. So when we do explode, when we do have those moments of tension, and it doesn't have to be sports, it can be raising kids, it can be in your marriage, it can be in high pressure uh, moments at work. Uh, and it's like you're getting squeezed. What's What comes out, it came out because it was inside. <laughs> so if it's inside, why is it inside? What is my thinking? And lots of times it's, it's well, James says selfish ambition and envying, uh, jealousy in our hearts. So the gospel can help those. As I meditate on the gospel, uh, I don't have to have that uh, bitter envying. I don't have to have the bitter jealousy in my heart. I can uh, be grateful for all that God has done for me. I can uh, rest in in God's sovereignty that he is working out his plan. I mean, there's so much more. It just depends on the circumstances. You know, with your kids, I know I found my, actually my first illustration in the book was in blowing up at, at my daughters. So I had to examine myself what's inside and I decided that they weren't respecting me and if they don't respect me so I made it about me and life isn't about me it's about glorifying God and when I make it about me that's when sin comes out so don't throw away these moments of tension uh, sit back look at them meditate on them think about them what happened what was I thinking what was I not getting that I wanted? And I had that reaction and evaluate your heart and then go to the gospel. And the gospel has answers for that. One of your main points is finding your identity in the gospel rather than in other people, in your marriage, in your family, in your work. Yeah, so I love the line in the song from Indescribable when 
He says, you know the depths of my heart and you love me the same. So God truly does know us and he still loves us. So we can be our ugliest version of ourself and God still loves us. You're pretty secure in that. The gospel prayer that I talk about from J.D. Greer, he says, there's nothing that I can do today to make you love me more. And there's nothing that I can do today for you to love me less. Basically, it's a non-work salvation. So essentially, lots of times we try to manipulate God with our good works and stuff like that. But we're just secure in God, secure in salvation, and uh, we can live in that security. When our identity is in the gospel, we can be secure with who we are. Our last story comes from La Biblia. It's a very common parable. It's the prodigal son. In your book, you talk about the older brother, which is funny because you are the older brother (laughs) and you are the older brother. (laughs) You get it? You see what I did there? (laughs) I do have the self-righteous attitude. (laughs) I relate with, I mean, I wish I could be out partying with my friends, but I do relate to the older brother and the Pharisees and all of the, you know, non-glamorous people in the Bible. I actually was reading the prodigal son story to the girls this morning, and we call it the gross pig story because in the Jesus Storybook Bible, there's a big illustration of the pigs. Eden, a long time ago, would say, I want to read the gross pigs, gross pigs, where are the gross pigs? So today, when I was trying to motivate them to listen to a Bible story, I thought, well, let's go for Eden's favorite On page 51, you say, younger brothers usually hit rock bottom. The consequences of their actions catch up to them, making it easier for them to turn to God for help. On the other hand, elder brothers tend to trust in themselves and stay on their moral high horse. In this paragraph, you're referencing the book, The Prodigal God by Tim Keller. Oh man, that book was a hammer to me. In fact, I listened to it in one day and then I had my family listen to it in one day on a road trip. How has that book and the gospel helped you as you process through maybe your elder brother tendencies? Yeah, that's not a maybe. That's a for sure. I have for sure have elder brother tendencies. So it it really helped a lot. So it really opened my eyes to the greatness of my self-righteousness. That is one good thing. Basically, the elder brother looks looks down on the younger brother looks down on those around them, thinks about their moral righteousness. You know, the elder brother and the prodigal son story, he says, look at what I've stayed here. I've done what was right. I've never done anything wrong and you haven't killed the fatted calf for me. So basically manipulating God with good works, which I mentioned earlier that we do. And I, it's not just from this book that there's this, these ideas in other podcasts I've heard, secular books, podcasts, they call it the fundamental attribution error, which basically says that you are going to make excuses for yourself for any flaws that you have. And for others, it's going to be moral shortcomings. So it's a character flaw. If you look at the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus points out a lot of things. You say this, but I say that. We will justify our own behavior 
but we will blame others and uh, show how wrong other people are. And it's it really has something to do with self-awareness as well. Having a gospel-centered view of self helps me have more self-awareness because I already know that I'm a sinner and I'm going to do wrong. That's just a fact. So it's just being aware of where that is, uh, where that comes out. And if I already know it, which the gospel tells me that, that I'm a sinner, then I can be aware when it's happening. You know that that person that we all try to avoid, like that's annoying or that's full of themselves or that you know you just stay away from well i am capable of being that person uh, i don't want to be that yeah. guy but i can be that guy don't be that guy david <laughs> don't be that guy be self aware and and the gospel helps helps with that i don't have to be annoying <laughs> i don't have to have bad character i know this isn't a leadership podcast but when you're talking about being self aware i thought as you lead a church as you lead ministry teams and your family being self-aware is key because you you do want to know how you come across to the people that you serve you do want to know what they think of you in a way that would be constructive like constructive criticism of hey david when you when you lead this way or when you um when you said that yesterday to our team it made us feel a little bit whatever, whatever. So part of, I'm sure, using the gospel to help transform our lives is being open and willing to accept what other people are trying to teach us about ourselves that we may be blind to. Yeah, totally. And I think we think that, oh, people aren't going to like us if they see the real us, but it just makes them like us more because they know that they're like that. And if I have enough security uh, in the gospel, to be able to be fine with unveiling that, you you get more respect. And I, I was reading uh, Extreme Ownership. It's by two Navy SEAL guys. It's not a Christian book, but they talk about the same thing. Just own up to things. And as you own up, you actually gain respect, which is not, you know, not traditionally taught, but I think the world even starts to see that gospel principles work. That book has been on my Goodreads to TBR list, my to be read for forever. Like I'm telling you, like seven or eight years and I've never read it. I probably, I went on this Navy SEALs kick where I wanted to read all the books by all the Navy SEALs because they're just so cool and I haven't read it yet. So I'm glad you enjoyed it and you beat me to it. So we talked about bad boat trips, soccer and football and moments of tension and the story of the prodigal son and his elder brother. I want to make sure everyone knows that obviously your book is available on Amazon, but check it out on Spotify. Look for the, you have to type in the full name, The Gospel Transformed Life, David Carroll, C-A-R-E-L. It's not a typical audiobook where you have the, where you have the entire book. Each chapter is a podcast episode. So if you want to listen to a chapter a day, you'll be done with it in a few weeks, and it's really good. Anything else you would like to say about the gospel-transformed life and how this concept has made a difference in your life? 
I don't necessarily want to sell the book. I want to sell the idea of preaching the gospel to yourself daily. And so there's several books out there that are solid on this. The main one being A Gospel Primer by Milton Vincent. And it's a smaller book and it's a great read on uh, preaching the gospel. Basically one that we use for devos in the morning. My wife uses it more than I do, but I just read little paragraphs each morning and just the idea of that be attuned to that be aware that that's a thing and search it out Uh, that's been a game changer just in the mornings to uh, set my identity in christ in the gospel and see that i need god lots of times this is done with music uh listening to goodness of god uh lord i need you few of the songs that we listen to that are great gospel songs that basically say that we need Jesus every day. Then as God has been to us, as we meditate on his grace and mercy for us, we can pass those on to others. So it really helps out my day. Thanks, Dave. I really appreciate it. I enjoyed the book. I'm proud of you for writing a whole book. I know it's not easy. I hope that people will discover it because I really do think it has some truths in there that can be very helpful. It has already helped me, to be honest. I I couldn't tell you a specific thing, but I do think about this more than I had before. So good job. You got your point across. Well, praise the Lord. And thanks for having me on here. I I always enjoy it. Thank you for listening to another episode of Book Therapy. Today's book was The Gospel Transformed Life, How Dwelling on the Gospel Saves Us from Our Daily Sins by David Carroll. If you'd like to check out his blog, it's davidcarroll.blogspot.com and the link is in the show notes. And his email is carolda at gmail.com. If you have a comment about the book or you would like updates about their mission work in Brazil, you can contact him there. All right, see you next time. Speaking of moments of tension, on page 33, you talk about... (laughs) On page (laughs) 33... pretty secure in that. The gospel prayer that I talk about from J.D. Greer, he says, there's nothing you can do today to make me love you more, and there's nothing that, I'm sorry, I slaughtered that.